Hello and welcome to the First Hand Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we're back with another great episode for you guys today. I'm here with assistant Marietta football coach Darian Fields. Darian, obviously solid quarterback yourself back in the day. Played football here for a few years. Some stats that stand out, really. You had a game against Wilmington, a game against Heidelberg, 400 yards, 90% completion, you know. Solid quarterback in your own right, but going back to your high school days, you played in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Folks who don't know that, guys like Darrell Rivas, he was a decent football player, I've been told. He came out of there. So could you talk about how you found Marietta and what what was life like growing up in an area like that that's got such a rich football tradition? So in Aliquippa, man, we're, we're an old steel mill town, and when the steel mill went away, the, the kind of town declined. You know what I mean? And the one thing that stood – uh, that was left was football. So growing up, if you weren't playing football, I mean, you kind of like had to move away. You're like the soft one of the group. Um, so a lot of us, that's our only way out. That's how we see it, which is starting to change a little bit more. But back when I was coming up, man, everybody was good at football. It was just a matter of when you had a chance to play. And like you said, Darrell Revis, Mike Dicka, Ty Law, we had guys like that. So we see it happen. So a lot of guys are like, well, I'm going to the NFL because we put people in the NFL. When you get to high school, you realize that's not the nature of it. Um, I didn't get recruited as much, but I had an opportunity at Marietta. And, like, really what the kids need to see is that uh, the best opportunity for you might not always be the best plan that you already have for you. Most definitely. And I think, you know, you touched on it. Kids got to realize, you know, we all thought we were going D1, you know. My 5'10 self thought I was going to be the starting left tackle for Ohio State. Believe it or not, 5'10 is not a left tackle at D1. But, you know, I thought I was a D1 left tackle. Everybody thinks they're an NFL whatever. Could you talk about what it was like, though? You get to Marietta, you know. And Marietta has had, you know, the OAC itself is top-notch. You're not going to find a better D3 conference top to bottom. But Marietta went through a rebuild. And, you know, could you speak to what it was like to be a part of kind of the culture change and obviously you know we've seen your stats yourself you're all over the record book here but talk about d3 life in specific being a quarterback for a team like marietta i never i never even heard of marietta before i even came out of high school i thought i was in georgia whenever he came to talk to me i thought i was going to stanford when i was in high school to realize you gotta have really good grades to go to stanford unless you're on full scholarship but coming here like at a D3 school, man, it's different. You're paying out of pocket a lot of the time, so that you're paying for your experience. So it's different. Every kid's different. What do you want your experience to be? I wanted to play early. You know what I mean? I won a lot in Aliquippa, and that wasn't like waiting my turn. I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to go somewhere I can compete for a job, and I came to Marietta and realized I missed winning a whole lot more. Um, we were 2-8 and eight the first year. When I got there the year before they were 2-8, and eight, my freshman year we were 2-8, and eight, and I really got to see how good D3 football was. Like Mount Union that year was the best football team I ever seen. The year after that, we were 3-7, and seven, and John Carroll was the best defense I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure y'all know the uh, defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, who's got a pretty good gig now. Um, um, but that was one of my first games as a starting quarterback in college football, starting playing against Brandon Staley's defense. You know what I mean? And, but the older I got, the more I realized, like, that team I seen my freshman year from Mount, that defense I seen versus John Kerr, I'll never see some something like that again. You know what I mean? So the film and, and everything started to catch up, and now I can see things before they happen. Now those 90, 90% completion per games come out, uh, 414 yards, and you don't even feel like that's happening. You know what I mean? So changing the program was, was, was a long 
long, rough, kind of hard road because you can't do it yourself. I lucked out to have Caleb Ruggleman, who's probably the best football player we've had here ever at left tackle, who you don't hear that coming from a left tackle with no stats. Um, but I ended up being 7-3, and three, man, and, and that was just the tail of the tape. And, I mean, you know, it wasn't just two games. You didn't just go for 414 and 90 once or twice. I mean, you threw for 414 yards and had an 85% completion percentage that game. I mean, you look at, like you said, the talent. You've had great running backs you've played with, you know, solid wide receivers. I mean, defensively, you know, solid D linemen. I mean, can you speak to, you know, you talked about the coaching that you see in D3. Brandon Staley, folks, if you don't know, he's the head coach of the Chargers. You know, that – we would all like to be an NFL head coach, you know, so not only that, but you've got, you know, the other pipeline John Carroll's produced, Josh McDaniels, all the scouts that are in the NFL. You look at Mount, several wide receivers, you know, can you talk about the D3 talent and what's the common misconception? We all think, well, you went D3 because you weren't as good. That's, that's not the case at all. Can you speak to that? That's definitely not the case. And a lot of times uh, now in this day and age of technology, it's a lot less old school, man. Like, I grew up from Aliquippa, and they come and find us, and they're like, if you're good, they'll find you. So I was like, cool, they'll find me. I wasn't on social media sending my stuff out or anything like that. Now that I'm recruiting, there's kids I never heard of that's coming out of the woodwork that's from a school that I recruit. And it's like, where did you come from? You know what I mean? I never even thought about it like that as a kid, and no one's thinking about that as a kid. And the talent at D3 is just as good as the talent at a D2 school. You know what I mean? It just depends on the offers you get in the and the notoriety you get coming out of high school. Junior Collins is a guy that was a wide receiver coach here. Now he's the wide receiver coach at Mount. Right before I came here, he was the wide receiver's coach, and he was the wide receiver in the NFL, CFL, could have played in whatever league he wanted to play in. You know what I mean? And that's the type of talent that, that comes out of this level. It's just not as broadcasted enough. You know, and you talked about being a coach now, recruiting now. I want to get into your coaching. Obviously, coaching wide receivers, you played quarterback in college, and, you know, a lot of people go, well, how do you go from playing a position like quarterback to coaching a different position? As the quarterback, you have to have a tight relationship with your wide receivers. How did you transition into, you know, after your playing days were up, how did you know you wanted to be a coach? How did you get into coaching and specifically now coaching the wide receivers? So back where I'm from, like, we're a small high school. Last year they graduated 39 kids. You know what I mean? And we're playing up three, four classifications in football. So I couldn't just play quarterback. I wasn't allowed. So I had to learn how to play wide receiver just in case. I had to learn how to play safety and corner. We had to go both ways and play multiple positions on the on offense and on defense. So coming coming up, wide receiver was always my second thing. And I played it some years, but most years I ended up being the quarterback. Uh, when I got here, my first game as a sophomore, we had a couple guys leave the team in camp. A couple wide receivers leave the team, and we had a, a lot of freshmen at, that were next in line, and we didn't feel comfortable with that. So instead of starting quarterback, I started slot receiver for a half. And at halftime, they threw me at quarterback, and, I, I mean, the rest is history from there. So I had a, I have, a, like, a unique interpretation of quarterback. Normally you see the prototypical Tom Brady's who probably never played wide receiver in their life. They don't know how to talk to them. But you have to. Like you say, you have to have this tight, close-knit. By my junior year, all the wide receivers were sophomores and freshmen. We didn't have anybody old enough, and they didn't know their left from right yet. So I had to teach them literally, like, left from right and how to step and how many steps it takes. And that helped me understand how hard it is for them to get open. So those completion percentages and things, how I can feel, hey, he doesn't feel like he's open. I can move on from that guy. Instead of saying, nope, my read is taking me there. Let me just throw it to it so I don't get yelled at. And then that's how we kind of got, got better as a team. You know, and you talk, you're coaching wide receivers now. I want to get into the technicality of the wide receiver position, you know. There's some really good wide receivers coming out in this draft. you got guys like Ohio State, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and stuff. But the type of stuff you hear a lot as a casual you know, fan is, well, 
did they run as you know large of a route tree you know can you talk about route tree specifically a lot of us know what a curl route is a lot of us know what a go route is you know simple routes like that but can you talk specifically on a route tree and why it's important you know you hear guys like Wes Welker Julian Edelman they were slot receivers but can you speak a little bit to the diversity of the wide receiver position and what goes into maybe playing the different roles so every, every scheme is different. Every every style of football, every, every style of offense is different. Um, first thing I'll say is that the route tree itself is just like the basic, basic unit of how you can grade a wide receiver. Everybody thought DK Metcalf when he came out couldn't run a route but a go route. Then he's in the league and he's bursting on the scene because you don't see people running that fast and being able to stop on a dime. So the route tree itself is just extremely important. But once you get a little bit older, you realize that the route tree itself doesn't help you. Because just as much as these wide receivers are advancing, these corners and defensive backs are so smart and they're so athletic and they can just process of elimination. Hey, he's 15 yards down the field. He has to be breaking out or he's running this comeback. It's just happening that way. If he's slowing down at like three or four yards, he's probably running a slant or he's running the speed out. So they're breaking down on that. They're reading three-step. So the basic route tree itself is like you got to expand off that. That's why uh, – uh, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Hunter Renfro, Keenan Allen, wide receivers like those guys can can mold two different routes together. So instead of running a 15-yard speed out, they're breaking that post at 10 and then breaking for the speed out, giving the D-back two different ways of thinking what's going to happen. Um, the route tree is – like, I love the route tree. You know what I mean? We don't specifically have a true 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 route tree, but we have those routes that we work on every day. We have those breaks that we work on every day. But I love to, like, be decided – not be decisive, but but disguise what we might be doing. It's like, hey, sometimes you got to lean out to go back out instead of leaning right to go out. You know what I mean? It's different things like that that my wide receivers like because they have all the tools. I'm just trying to give them a little bit more. And you talk on those tools. You know, everybody thinks, you know, you look at John Ross. When he was coming out of Washington, he goes to the combine, runs a sub-4-3. Bengals take him in the top ten. But the speed alone didn't get him to NFL fame. You know, he's still in the league but never really hit the top 10 pick where you see a guy like DK and everybody was knocking DK. Well, is he too big? You know, he only runs one route. You look at DK and I would say I'd like DK's career, you know? So can you talk about what are those important traits that a wide receiver has to have? Obviously DK has got the size, the speed, the strength. We all wish we looked like DK, but then you got a guy like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill didn't play D one football. Tyreek Hill's got elite speed, but he was oft oftentimes overlooked. So can you speak to, what are the traits that go into an elite wide receiver? And how do some of these guys like a Tyreek Hill become an elite wide receiver? Tyreek Hill, is, he's just different, man. He's just he's, That's a different example. Even DK at that point is just a different example. But And like John Ross, like he's his speed is his top notch. But like he got hurt a little early. And I mean, quite frankly, every wide receiver in the NFL, if you're on that roster and you're dressed on Sunday, you're, you're one of the top in the country. It can be anybody. Um, I can't think of his name, the one guy in the playoffs for, for the Bills. Gabriel number Davis. Gabriel Davis, four touchdowns out of nowhere. People never even heard his name before. And you watch him run routes, he's like, oh, my God, he's he's legit. Why is he, Why are we not paying him millions of dollars? You know what I mean? Everybody's good. And in, in the NFL, it gets washed away when people say somebody like Odell is washed and, like, he's not good anymore because in Cleveland he wasn't doing his best. Now he's in L.A. and he's winning the na national championship, <laughs> winning the Super Bowl, and he looks like Odell again. It's just a situation and an opportunity. Tyreek, Somebody like Tyreek Hill, someone has to see him and say, I love that kid. Let's use him. And Andy Reid was that guy. Look what now he's one of the highest paced wide receivers in the league in Miami. What will he do in Miami? 
It'll be a little bit different. You know what I mean? He might not be the same Tyreek Hill. And I'm sure a year from now we're going to hear, oh, Tyreek's a little washed, man. He's no good without Patrick Mahomes. Just down there. No, that's not the case. You know what I mean? A lot of it's just who you're, who you're around and the opportunity. I guess it, it matters more quarterback, the situation, and things of that nature matter. But, uh, I mean, you got guys like Justin Jefferson who came into the league, and they're like, oh, my God, it's the best receiver we've ever seen. And then his teammate from, high, from college, Jamar Chase, comes out, and he's the best receiver we've ever seen. You know what I mean? It's just so it's it's so opportunity based, and it's it's so much more to it than just like their skills and their talent because they're all talented. Like I'll take a guy from my area, Tyler Boyd. He was in the league for however many years, and now he's on the Super Bowl team, and now the eyes are on him. Now everyone's like Tyler Boyd, one of the best in the league. Three four years ago, nobody really knew who Tyler Boyd was. He went to Pitt. You know what I mean? And I want to talk about another guy from your area. This is an old school guy. Heinz Ward was. Arguably one of the best blocking wide receivers I've ever seen. So I want to ask you about blocking as a wide receiver. Everybody thinks only the offensive line and the tight end need to block. That's not true. I'm sure as a wide receiver coach, if you guys are calling a run play, specifically a zone run or an outside run, and you've got a wide receiver not blocking, chances are you're going to have a friendly conversation with them on that one. So I want to ask you, what goes into blocking as a wide receiver, specifically given the fact that you guys are on the outside a lot? It's a lot easier to catch that hold than being on the inside. Could you talk a little bit on that? For sure. And, and like, here, it's, it's so it's, it's a premium to block a wide receiver. Like you said, we had good running backs. We had Roger Walker's All-American. Tanner Clark's All-American. Bryce Agnew, who's going to be an All-American, led the conference in yards this year. They break a lot of runs. And so we're, if they're not breaking away from us, it's a problem. My guys aren't blocking. Um, when you get older, though, you realize that, like, in high school, when it's just block who's watching you, and we'll figure out the rest. And, like, there's schemes and there's different. Now sometimes we might have to go in there and block a linebacker, and now we got to block a corner, now we got to block a safety. We're blocking for a bubble. We might be able to cut this nickel as opposed to just blocking them head on. If we're blocking for an inside run, we might have to get over the ball and block a, dig them out, turn our ass to the inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm getting in the coaching mode, but it's different ways to block. And, like, you got to know who the mic is. The offensive line always mics a linebacker. That's who we're going to work our double team. We'll pull to the plus one. We get work counted for the plus two. They give us one high, put three into the box. Now they're going to mic all the way back. We're going to block into the box now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so different. Sometimes you get an outside run with an inside run. We got to read different ways. We're blocking for the outside run and not the inside run. It's a lot of different things that go into blocking. But bottom line is just effort if you want to do it. You'll do it. And, like, even if you're not doing it right, if you do it enough, the running back will make you right. You know what I mean? You're 20 yards down the field blocking a safety to the inside when you should be blocking to the outside. Well, he'll just cut off your butt, and then we'll go to the outside. So it's, a lot of it's just effort and want to. A lot of the times, like, you get smaller slots blocking linebackers, and they can do it. You know what I mean? It's just all want to. So I want to get into recruiting. Obviously, being a coach now, you probably watch way too much high school film. Oh, yeah. You probably get a lot of high schoolers, you know, sending you direct messages on Twitter. I can tell you every advertisement on Huddle right now. And that's the thing. I mean, these guys, they, you know, they want a shot. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, back, you know, five, ten years ago, this wasn't a thing to be able to just DM a coach and say, hey, you know, look at my film real quick. What do you, you know. So when you're watching that film. What are you looking for? When you're watching a wide receiver, you know, like you said, it's different schemes. So when you're watching a wide receiver, understanding that maybe he only gets the ball thrown to him twice in this game, what else are you looking for at that high school level? You're looking for something different every time. Like you have your base, like can he run, can he catch? You know what I mean, obviously. Um, if he's six foot four, 
how how good does he run? How good does he break down? If he's five foot nine, I'm not necessarily worried about him being a, a burner down the field. Unless he is, that's perfect Tyreek Hill type of kid. If he's five foot nine slot receiver, what kind of routes is he running? Is he breaking on the dime? Is he cutting? Is he blocking? All the, all those different things that go into it. Um, and it is different now. Recruiting at this level is extremely different because we're getting blowback from each level. These uh, Division One Power Five coaches, they see it in the transfer portal and things of that nature, but they're not getting the the, uh, the the bad end of the stick when it comes to recruiting, especially when the COVID hit. When COVID hit, certain schools got a certain more uh, five scholarships, I think, at the, at the D2 level or whatever the number is. They might say, hey, all these guys are coming on fifth years. We're putting them back on scholarships because scholarships are a four-year deal. That means a kid that was a D2 kid out of Columbus, Ohio, that would have went to Notre Dame College is not getting that look because they got their starter coming back. So now the Mount Unions and the John Carrolls and the Mariettas are fighting over this kid who we wouldn't have had a chance at before. You know what I mean? And a lot of a lot of the times that kid is like, I'm not going to a Division three school because they they have been recruited by D2 schools. You know what I mean? A lot of that plays into effect. Uh, this might be my little vent session right now, but a lot of it is 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 window dressing. And some of these kids just want a million offers, and it doesn't matter to them. Some kids hit us up, and they're like, hey, we would love to get you down on a visit, man. Is this an offer, coach? And it's like, that's not how this works. No one knows how it works anymore. You know what I mean? So a lot of it's watered down. But at, at the same breath, you, you find certain kids that are like, I need this kid on my team. One of them was Dawson Snyder for us. I'm like, no, nah, this kid gets it. He's really good. I can, he, he has all the pieces. Let's get him here. He got here his freshman year. He burst on the scene, and now he's like going to be one of the best receivers we have here. You know what I mean? So recruiting in itself is, man, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? You go to the school, that's why we got to go talk to these kids and see them out of eye and face-to-face, get them down on campus. And we also we go watch them play basketball if they play basketball, if they play baseball. And for the for the record, we don't care how good they are at basketball, man. We don't. We we just going so we like we're recruiting him, showing face. But we love to see how he's being coached without a helmet on. What kind of faces is he making? How is he walking back to the bench when he gets taken out? He airballed a foul shot, comes down, gets foul, and one. The crowd's yelling. The student section's calling him overrated. How does he respond to that? If he's playing well, how does he respond to playing well? You know what I mean? Those type of things. We don't care how good he is, but we try to see get a feel for the kid. And for folks who don't know, if you haven't been to Marietta, you got to come down and catch a game. I mean, being at the facilities, this isn't just your typical small school D3 facility. It's a nice facility to play at no matter where you thought you were going to go. Can you speak a little bit? I want to get into your team specifically, the guys you got now. you got a talented group of guys, you know, not just at the wide receiver position, but all over. I mean, like I said, D3 is no joke, but Marietta football is no joke. You know, OAC, people think it's John Carroll or Mount Union, and then, you know, everybody else can fight it out for third. I, I don't see it that way anymore at all. Can you talk a little bit to not only the talent you guys have, but where you guys are heading as a program? Um, like, it's way different than I was here, for sure. But right now, man, you look at the league, and like you said, John – Mountain John Carroll because people have heard those names before. A lot of people haven't heard of Marietta before. Uh, my senior year, we were seven and three. We have John Carroll up in the fourth, had beat up up in the fourth. We would have been in the playoffs. And I'm a little biased to say we would have won a little. We had a, we would have had a run. Now people would have heard of Marietta. Now we're on their radar. This past year, man, of the you got Mountain at the top, and the next five or six teams all. All of them had games decided by one, two, or three points multiple times this year. Like this is like the SEC of. Of uh of Division three football, I, I wholeheartedly believe that man. And and if you're in this conference, man, you know every game, every game, man, every game is is a grind. 
Every game is a grind. You can't take teams lightly. You know what I mean? Even, like you said, 90% completion for me, I had to go out there and earn that 90%. You know what I mean? It was just it's, – it's, this conference is different. Here, we – last year, we struggled a little bit, but we had some young guys in some pivotal positions. Connor Vierce was a quarterback who was a sophomore. That was his first time starting. I was there before. Believe me, I've been there, so I understood all the struggles. Bryce, this is his first time being a premier guy. We had some wide receivers out there who were seniors who got hurt. Now we're down to like three or four freshmen playing pivotal moments. And the defense of the defense had three All-Americans on it. You know what I mean? So they they carried us a lot of the way. Um, We're trying to figure out our linemen. So this year, everybody on the offensive side of the ball at least is coming back. So things are looking up. And your team is always great when Drake Newberg is on it. You know what I mean? The defense is going to be the defense with Coach Feltrop. They're going to do the same things they did last year. Um, So things are are looking extremely up for us. Hopefully we can get over the hump and win a lot of those games that we that we didn't. But things are looking up, and it helps whenever the, the stadium's packed the way that it is with the gray turf and the cannon and things of that nature. I don't know when, Logan, whenever you were getting recruited, if we still had the green turf or not. But, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, it's hard to get people to come watch those games. It's hard to get people to come play on that field. So it's a whole lot easier to, to be good in a setting like this. You know what I mean? So hopefully we can get over the hump next year. But – this team right now, man, we're, we're extremely talented and raw, and we got kids that will be here for another two years or three years that can play, and they're going to be playing this year. And for those who, you know, like you said, everybody's heard of Mount Union. You guys in the spring of 2021 played at Mount. You know, that was a Mount team that had a running back who was not bad. Josh Petroselli is well-known in the D3-verse, yeah. and yeah. you guys had him frustrated. I mean, for one – they only had one touchdown in the first quarter. That was, I mean, that was a tight game. It was six to three for a while. Petroselli picks up a personal foul at the end of the first half because of how swarming the defense was. I mean, you guys, twenty. I believe you held them to twenty points that game. Twenty-three. I mean, that is a game that Mount Union normally looks at that and goes, "Okay, you know, we're just, you know, we'll go out there. Josh will play a half." That's not the case anymore. You talked about that culture change. Twenty to three against Mount Union. Folks, that that's like Vanderbilt coming up on Alabama. You guys are you guys aren't Vanderbilt though. You guys are here now. You know, I I wholeheartedly believe the OAC is not not mounts and just mounts anymore. But switching gears a little bit away from just the OAC, you know, you guys have played outside of the OAC a little bit. You guys got to travel on a plane, go out of state and play a game. Can you speak a little bit to some of the opportunities that Mount that Marietta as a program is getting now and why D three isn't what it was maybe when you were playing or, you know, just even five years ago. Yeah, the game we went to, we flew to Dubuque, Iowa, and uh, there's there's a guy that's an alumni from their school. His son came down here, so it was a good experience, man. It was a really, really good experience, and that was a really, really good football team. Really good football team, man. And we they held us to like seven points, I want to say, in the first half. And we came out in the third quarter and started playing our style of football. Like I said before, uh, we had some young guys that were – that were in pivotal positions. That's their first time seeing real football against a team like Dubuque, who's who's really good. You know what I mean? But we settled in. Um, but like I said, man, there's there's talent everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, we went to Iowa. People like I, I, Coach Icorn, our running backs coaches from Iowa, and it's like there ain't nothing out there. The plane we when we got off the plane, it was nothing out there but, but corn and fields. You know what I mean? For miles away. Um, but you go to a school like that and find talent. You go to a school in the middle of Columbus or Alliance and find talent. You can go to Pittsburgh and find talent. You know what I mean? You can go anywhere at this level and find talent. And 
that's that's the craziest part about it because there's a stigma about Division Three football because of, I mean there is no funding where you know what I mean it's it's a lot of it's out of your own pocket and it's, you're not getting the the type of exposure type of things you're getting at Division One level so there's like this stigma about it until you actually get here and watch and one one big thing about our campus is like basketball our basketball team was ranked number one or two in the country for weeks and like. People are like Division Three basketball, man. There's no John Morant, there's no Zion Williamson's for sure. But then you watch them play basketball. I was like, no, these kids can play. You come watch us play football. I'm like, this is football. You know what I mean? So, at this level, man, going to Dubuque and playing against Geneva, we played against Dennis in the NCAC, man. And like, there's talent everywhere. Believe it or not, man, there's talent everywhere. And if you think there is no talent in D3, I'd encourage you. YouTube is free now. You you can get on a YouTube. You know, I've been watching a ton of your guys' highlights. Running back like Bryce Agnew, you talked about he's going to be an All-American. That guy's going to be whatever he wants to be because he's just tough. I mean, you look at the one thing that pops when watching your team specifically, watching Marietta, is you guys are tough. Not afraid to hit. Bryce, I... The thing that popped off to me, I texted my co-host Logan watching Bryce's tape, and I said he seeks contact. He does not shy away from it. Watching a guy that you guys had on the D-line the last four years, Kyle Gallagher, that man is not afraid to just hit people in the mouth. You talked about Drake. Drake just looks like he's shot out of a cannon. I mean, and that's, I mean, you guys have that type of talent where it's, I mean, those guys could play at other levels. Those guys, it's not like, well, Marietta's all they had, and that's all they could ever do. You know, D3 is on the rise. You guys as a program are on the rise. So, Switching gears just a little bit to talk about the high school, you know, and I just got a couple more questions for you. We appreciate you coming on. You know, high schoolers, sometimes, you know, as like I said, as a high schooler, we, we all wanted to go big. We all wanted to hit the NFL, wanted to make our 30 mil and retire by 30. That doesn't happen. You know, we thought we were going to get an Oregon. We thought we were going to get an Alabama. We didn't get it. We, you know, we got a Marietta. We got a Baldwin-Wallace. Talk about why getting a Marietta or a Baldwin-Wallace as a high schooler, you should still be just as hyped. I mean, understanding that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of programs out there, but there's even more high schoolers who want to play. So can you speak a little bit to why getting an offer, no matter where you're at, why as a high schooler, you got to still hold that same level of intensity? And if you're playing for the love of the game, man, it's a blessing to keep playing. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't have that opportunity. A lot of people, I used to say it before our game, a lot of people don't get to be here. A lot of people that die to be here. A lot of people have died to be here. You know what I mean? You, this is this is a privilege, whether you're playing Wilmington, Mount Union, whether you're playing the Steelers, whether you're playing Duquesne. It doesn't matter. You get to play at the next level. And even further from here, if you get a chance to play, you're playing a game that you love, man. And as long as you find the love of that game, man, then then it's it's a blessing to do. A lot of these kids, man, they're they're so stuck in the social media aspect of it, and that's not real life. You know what I mean? Just being able to go post a million offers is not is what well, it means nothing. It, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but a lot of a lot of these high school kids, man, they need to understand that. Like it's it's a blessing to play. It's only a, a small fraction of high school kids get to go on and play the game they love for another four years. And the things that can come of that, man, like like literally just right now the. Knowing Logan for the next 10 years, like, you never know. what I might run into Logan Allward on the job interview. You know what I mean? It ha- It's happened. Uh, one of our left tackles met, met up with a, a tight end that I played with, but he had left before he got there. So I got this guy, man, his name's so-and-so and so-and-so, and we're like, no, it's not. And we call him on the phone like, hey, you know this kid that you're about to interview? And he's like, yeah, man, I don't know about him. He's like, man, he's a great kid linked with each other they would have never met they would have never known you know what i mean so things like that are what come about playing at a division three school playing at alabama it's like you went to alabama it's almost like you don't even care about it you know what i mean because you go in there you're league seeking at some point you played ohio state you played at Pitt. it's different 
when you play at a school like this, man, it's 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 almost like family. You know what I mean? Ten years down the line, just because you went there, it's like any person that has married at a college on their resume. For me, going forward, it's like I know what you went through. I went through the same things, and like especially in this program, if you were in it with the green turf with me, then you know <laughs> we went through some struggles. <laughs> you know and. You talked about going from the green turf to the gray turf, you know. I got signifies going from what you guys were to what you guys are becoming, you know. I want to, you know, two just two more questions for you. Specifically coaching. Got a lot of guys who the playing career didn't go the way they wanted, you know. They wanted to go pro, they didn't. Or, you know, they wanted to go to college and they couldn't. What do you say to that guy who he's knowledgeable, he knows the game, but his body just it wasn't meant to be. He's the five ten left tackle. What do you tell that kid or that you know guy who's at the end of his career? If you want to get into coaching, these are the steps, and this is what you've got to be prepared for. I always say like maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but my my thing about coaching is like there's always something that somebody has more to give to the game. It's rare you see somebody go out and ride on their high horse off of their career and come back and coach afterwards. You know what I mean? I bet Tom Brady's not coaching when he's done. Deion Sanders is like he was away from it and it's like, you know what I mentioned? I got to find a way back into it. That's just the type of people they are. But like me, coming out of high school, I, I had something to prove coming from Alacupa. I Even coming here, it's like, man, I, people from Alacupa go to Division One, They go to the NFL. They're in the NFL Hall of Fame, first ballers. You know what I mean? I, I have to uphold that, which is why I thought I was going to a certain school like that. And I, and I didn't. So I always feel like I got something to prove just because I'm from Alacupa. I got to be the smartest football mind ever. So I get into coaching. You know what I mean? And, and – and I wasn't the tallest. I wasn't the biggest. If I was 6'3", I'd argue I wouldn't have been at Marietta. You know what I mean? So I got that much more to give to it. And, and with coaching, I feel like a lot of guys got so much more they feel like they can give to the game. And if you feel like you got something to give to the game, whether you are ability to do it or you got records and accolades or you don't have anything, you never touch it down, go do it, man, because it's about the love of this game. If you love the game and you're passionate about it and you're knowledgeable, the kids will listen. It doesn't matter what you did. As long as you have those three – attributes about it the kids will listen and this is the last question we got for you we end every episode every interview with this you're a high you're, you're talking to a high schooler you know you know that high schooler's trying to figure out what to do you know didn't get the offers he wanted like we talked about or maybe just doesn't know how to even start what's your advice to maybe even your younger self what would the advice be to that high school player trying to figure out what's the next step not just for the football career but beyond football as well as he said, my younger self, my little brother's playing quarterback. He quit right now. He's a sophomore, so he's going through it. They're getting all these offers. He's not getting them. So we're going through it right now. Um, my advice, man, is like, one, do your due diligence, man. Like Joe Burrow said at work, don't record yourself working out and doing it and just posting it, and then that's your workout for the week. Actually get better. Get better at what you want to do and work out and do that. That takes care of the first step because now you're not a fraudulent. You know what I mean? The, the work takes care of everything. Work. Do your work. The second thing in doing your due diligence is, like, going to these camps. You know what I mean? Sending your highlight tapes out, being recruitable. Nobody wants a kid on Twitter who's who's not recruitable. You know what I mean? Nobody wants somebody that's out here not being recruitable. And that, that's, like, a conversation for another day, being recruitable. But, but doing things that of that nature, getting your name out there. Now your name is out there. When people come to check you out, the work takes care of the rest of that. And then stay confident, man. Like, like it's all in God's plan. It'll work out for you at some point. Maybe, like we said all the time, we thought we were going to Stanford, Ohio State, and all those type of deals. And it's like, one, we didn't know any better. We didn't know these other schools. These other schools wasn't reaching out to these. Like, I'm reaching out to kids on Twitter. That, that wasn't happening to me. The only, the, I never heard of schools, you know what I mean, outside of Pitt and Duquesne and, 
and Ohio State and Stanford. Whatever was on NCAA football is where I wanted to go play. You know what I mean? I never heard of the Mariettas or the Genevas or the Mount Unions. I never heard of them. So when you have these coaches and, and that are inboxing you, man, like take that as, as like the prettiest girl. You know what I mean? Sliding in your DMs because you never know that Brandon Staley could be at Pitt one day. You know what I mean? And the two years you grow from that, it's like, oh, my God, I remember this kid. I really love talking to this kid. So that would be my advice, man, to 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 do the work, first of all, do the work to, that it takes to be recruited and, and, like, treat yourself in the manner that, like, you want to be recruited as in, and the rest will take care of itself. Most definitely. We thank you for coming on. Folks, if you don't know this, D3 is no slouch. You know, we say it at the end of every interview we've done with a D3 guy, but, you know, the one thing I've noticed with D3, you know, even looking, you got college coaches. Matt Campbell at Iowa State went to Mount Union. Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator at USC. He's been at Oklahoma. He's been at Ohio State. They all started at this D3 level. D3 is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's up to these players and specifically the guy who got the D3 offer to determine his future. You brought up something. I can't let you go without talking about it because it's something that I hit on a lot. It's something that we all hear about, and that's being recruitable and being coachable. You know, you talked earlier about the kid who airballs the free throw, and if he comes over, does he kick the bench? Or does he just come over? You know, he allows himself to be coached up, but you can tell he's already compartmentalized and we're on to the next one. Understanding, you know, you specifically, you were a quarterback. I know you threw some interceptions. Being able to bounce back and say, you know what, that was the wrong read there. I didn't see the safety or maybe I didn't look the safety off enough, but next play. You know, what exactly, talking to a high schooler again, how do you be coachable? How do you be recruitable? Man, I'll take it a step further from throwing an interception, man. You throw three in the first half. You're the leader of the team, and you're not on your best day. You get pulled. How do you respond to being pulled? We watch D1 guys get pulled all the time on national television, and it's very rare you see one go to the bench, snatch his helmet off, do the whole Antonio Brown deal. What are they doing? Patting the next quarterback on the ass, making sure, he, hey, this is what I've seen, this is what I thought, this is where I was wrong at. Quarterback rooms are different. You know what I mean? They, it's all love, and it should be that way. If you're on the basketball team and you're airballing foul shots and free throws, getting scored on, he takes you out, and your teammates a big three, are you sitting at the end of the bench slouched over, or are you standing up? cheering on your guys, some of your best friends from high school that they forget about in that moment because they're being a little bit selfish. How unselfish are you? And, like, those type of kids that are, like, cheering their teammates on, even even through adversity, you know what I mean? When they go through adversity and they're holding everything together, those are the kids that I want on my team because those are the kids when I throw two, three interceptions aren't kicking me down in the dirt. Kids like Logan Allward, when I punt a ball that didn't want it went as far, and he, I come over and like, man, D, that punt sucked. But I know from coming from Logan, that's like, oh, man, you right, bro. That, that, that did suck. The next one, I kick 40 yards or I'll run a fake. We run a fake, I run it for 50, and I come to the sideline like, hey, you couldn't have done that. He's <laughs> like, you done right, I couldn't have done that. But that type of thing, man, you have players like that on your team that, that uplift you and keep you going in, in the face of adversity instead of recruiting kids that are, like, ready to shun somebody or would have quit on themselves when they're going through adversity. That's what builds a program. And once you get players like that, man, you're – your program will, will flourish. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to say anymore. I do want to thank you guys for, for having me on, man, for sure. This is uh this has been great. I'll do this anytime you need to talk to somebody from any point of view, uh, putting a spotlight on our, on our school and on our team and some of our players, more importantly. Man, that's, that's, that's tremendous, man. I do, I do thank you guys for that. And, Darian, we thank you for coming on. We got interviews lined up with some of your players. We're going to be talking to them. We're, Marietta football is here to stay. It's here to stay on this show specifically. I mean, 
I tell you guys right now, come this fall, this is going to be a fun football team to be around. Like I said, if you haven't been to Marietta, you got to get down here. It's worth the drive. It's worth whatever you got to do to just come see the atmosphere that's being built. Folks, that's all we got for you guys today. Like I always tell you, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. But until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. Thank you.